0: The book of Esther is a great, great study in providence, God's providing for his people. Throughout the book of Esther, one will never, never find the name of God. God is never mentioned, but his presence is clearly evident through his providence in providing deliverance for his people, the Jews of that time. And he did so through the courageous faith of a woman named Esther and her cousin Mordecai. There's also a great lesson in the example of concern that Mordecai had for Esther. Listen to the words of Esther, chapter 2 and verse 7. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, another name for Esther, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Now Esther, as you may be familiar with the account, became the queen of the Persian empire at that time, in which she lived, as did many of the Jews who had not returned to Israel, to Jerusalem, and the surrounding areas of Palestine, their homeland, after Cyrus, the king of Persia, who conquered the Babylonians, had issued that decree for them to return. Obviously, there were a great many Jews who remained in the country of Persia. Esther was among them, her cousin Mordecai, and literally thousands upon thousands of others, as the text clearly reveals. She had become queen, and you may remember the background of that, and that in itself is one of the great elements of providence in this book, because the king, Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes, had his queen named Vashti, and after he had put together a great feast to show all of his power and his glory for many, many days. Apparently, they had been doing a lot of drinking, obviously. They were merry with wine, he himself was. And he called for Vashti, his queen, to come to the court to show her beauty. Now, the indication is, since Vashti refused to do so, that the request did not simply involve her coming to the court, to let everyone see how pretty she was, fully clothed. The indication is they wanted her, the king did, to show her beauty in ways that she, because of her modesty, refused to do. She refused his request. As a result, she was deposed as queen, and the process then was begun to find a replacement. It took four years to bring who knows how many of these virgins before the king for him to ultimately decide. Literally hundreds of women, obviously, were brought before him. The choice that ultimately was made was Esther. Esther of Jewish background who had not revealed her background to the king. Esther 2 verse 20 says, now Esther had not revealed her family and her people just as Mordecai had charged her. Mordecai had charged her not to do that. For Esther, and this is an interesting statement, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. I find that significant in terms of what it says about the kind of upbringing that she had by her cousin Mordecai who took the place of her parents, who loved her, who brought her up, who disciplined her, obviously, who trained her and whom she loved and respected to the extent that even when she's a grown woman on her own in the court of the most powerful man on earth at this time, she still obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. I realize that when our children grow up and they leave home, they form their own families. And I realize the Bible says that man is to leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall be one flesh. And I understand that interference from in-laws is not something that uh, is, uh, is a positive thing. In fact, it can be extremely negative. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a relationship of respect that continued throughout her life for the one who had done so much for her. And that's a beautiful example of the kind of respect all of us as children should have for our parents who loved us and who hopefully did what was best for us, even after we've left the nest, as it were. We love and respect them, and we always show that respect to them for as long as they live. And that's what I see in this one phrase, as when she was brought up by him. And when wicked Haman, a man who hated Mordecai because Mordecai would not bow down to him and it just ate him up that he would not bow down to Haman who was very much favored by the king at this time. When wicked Haman plotted to have all the Jews destroyed because he knew Mordecai was a Jew, Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him and so he devised a plot to get the king to issue a decree to destroy every Jew in the country on a given day. And they determined that day by lot, P-U-R, pure. And you may have heard of the Feast of Purim, and that's where all this originated. And the lot came to a certain day on which all of the Jews would be destroyed. Mordecai wanted Esther to intercede for her people before the king. But there was one problem Unless the king had called for her, she could just not simply show up. If she did show up uncalled for and uninvited, there was the very distinct possibility that the king would have her killed for so doing. Seems extreme to us, and rightfully so. But unless... The king held out his scepter to one who came to his presence unannounced. If he did not hold out that scepter as if to say, come on in, she was done for, finished. She would lose her life, and she knew that. But as Mordecai sent word to her to intercede, he told those who carried the message to her this. Esther 4 verses 13 and 14 and these words are I'm sure most of them quite familiar to you. He said here's what you tell her, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews for if you remain completely silent at this time relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews or for the Jews from another place, in other words Mordecai says, I have confidence God's going to deliver his people. And if you refuse to be the instrument in his hands through his providence to do so, that deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And then these words that are, I'm sure, most familiar to you. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows? whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. That's an expression of confidence in the providence of God. And so when Esther was first taken to the palace, before she became queen, during that process when all of the choosing was taking place, and it took a long time as we'd said, Mordecai, her cousin, exhibited a concern for her welfare that I'd like for us to think about today. It's an example of concern that provides a wonderful example for all of us to follow today. Listen to this statement found in Esther 2 in verse 11. And every day, every day, Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters where all these women were kept who were being brought one by one before the king to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Think about that in relation to this question. What about our concern for the spiritual family here at White Oak and for the souls of those outside these walls? What about our concern? I think we can learn from the compassion and concern of Mordecai some very important lessons about caring for others. Lessons that can remind us of how important it is to demonstrate the kind of attitude that Mordecai did toward Esther. First of all, Mordecai did something concrete. He paced in front of the court he didn't say you know somebody ought to check on Esther to see how she's doing and I'm sure probably somebody is I mean there are a lot of Jews who know that she is a, a fellow Jew and I'm sure that there are people checking on her that wasn't his attitude nor should we leave to others what we can do ourselves as Christians We mentioned before that the visitor absentee sheet, as we call it, the information sheet that we publish every Wednesday, anew and refresh every Wednesday and put out here, is not for the elders to pick up themselves, not for the deacons to pick up, it's for every member to pick up. And it's for us to look and it's for us to see and for us to pray for and for us to do for those who are there who are in need. Galatians 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And James defined pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father as what? This, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And if we go to a passage in Matthew, part of a text that we looked at in our Bible class in another connection this morning, but in Matthew chapter 25, at verse 34, beginning, the judgment scene is depicted here as Jesus projects himself to the time in which he will sit in judgment before all men. The king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Mordecai did something concrete. And he didn't wait for others. Or assume that others were doing it. He took it upon himself to do so, but he also was consistent. He was consistent in his concrete action, wasn't he? Every day, the text says, Mordecai paced. every day, every day. Our concern has to be consistently shown for each other. Fellowship is key to spiritual survival. And we must never lose sight of that. The early church understood and appreciated it, didn't they? In Acts 2.42, they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And we should show concern in private prayers as well as in our public demonstrations. I dare say that Mordecai not only paced every day, but he prayed every day as well. I'm quite sure he did. He didn't pace without praying. He paced and he prayed every day for Esther. We know from Esther 4, 16 and 17 that he fasted three days. Clear evidence of the deep concern that he had. Are we praying every day for the elders, for the deacons, for the church at White Oak, for the lost souls? around us. Hebrews thirteen one tells us, let brotherly love continue. Consistency. He did something concrete and he did it consistently. But thirdly, Mordecai was compassionate. He paced every day to learn of Esther's welfare. A deep compassion for her. And compassion involves benevolence. If you look at Webster's definition of it, he defines it as a suffering with another. Hence, sympathy. Sorrow for the distress or misfortune of another with the desire to help. Pity. Commiseration. That's the dictionary definition. Paul wrote this about it in Romans 12 in verse 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor doing what? Giving preference to one another. You know something? That phrase, kindly affectionate, in Romans 12:10. the word from which that phrase kindly affectionate is translated is only used right here. One time in the New Testament. You know what it means? It means cherishing one's kindred. Cherishing one's kindred. So what is Paul saying? Who are the kindred here? We are. Those who are fellow Christians, be kindly affectionate. That is, cherish your kindred. And in the context, our kindred clearly constitutes the church, not your biological family, though you certainly are to be kindly affectionate towards your biological family. But there's a family that even takes precedence over them in terms of your complete devotion and loyalty. A family, the family of God, the head of which is Christ, the head of the body of the church, which is his family, and the Heavenly Father who looks down upon his family with love and compassion and concern and expects his family members to demonstrate that same cherishing of their kindred this phrase is descriptive of the tender love between parents and children, and in this case, the family is the church, our spiritual kindred. One commentator says of this love for our spiritual family, quote, Now love to thee should be kind, tender, and affectionate, reciprocal, and mutual. Such should love one another. There should be no love wanting on either side. And it ought to be universal and reach to all the saints, though of different gifts, light, knowledge and experience, or whether high or low, rich or poor, and should show itself by bearing one another's burdens, bearing with and forbearing each other, forgiving one another, and by edifying one another in their most holy faith, and praying with and for one another. Another commentator said, love a brother Christian with the affection of a natural brother. When we love as family, when we truly love as family, we will be compassionate toward one another just as Mordecai was toward Esther. We won't be strangers but family and we'll love and honor one another without partiality as those who have a common love for the Lord and a common bond as members of his spiritual family. We'll always be concerned about the welfare of every family member, and our compassion will compel us to engage in concrete, constructive, and consistent acts of kindness and love for all. Turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 5, and let's read the first 13 verses of that fifth chapter of First Thessalonians. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when we say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. Paul reminds Christians that we're not children of darkness. We are children of light. Therefore, how should we act toward one another? Verse 11 tells us to comfort one another. The same verse says to edify one another, that is to build one another up. And verses 12 and 13 tell us to love and esteem the shepherds of our souls and to be at peace among ourselves. And to be at peace, we must be at work. We must be at work. As Romans 12.10 teaches, be kindly affectionate, that's cherishing one's kindred, remember, to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Consider your brother or sister better than yourself. Don't consider a few of them better than yourself, but all of them more worthy than yourself. Don't consider one of them more worthy than all the others. But love them all like a mother loves her child and sacrifices her well-being for her children. You know, there's no doubt that Mordecai loved his cousin Esther. No question about it, because he showed that love by his concrete, consistent, compassionate actions toward her. That's the only way you can ever show your love for your brethren in Christ and for the precious souls all around us. But one thing is for certain, you must first show your love for God by obeying the gospel of his dear son. Have you done that? If not, we plead with you to do it, to respond to the compassionate Christ to respond to the one who took constructive concrete action to make possible your salvation and to the one who is consistent in his promise that if you'll obey him he'll never leave you or forsake you that's the one who invites this morning by telling you that unless you believe that he is the Christ you will die in your sins John 8:24 that unless you repent of your sins, that is, turn away from those sins and turn to him in repentance, you'll perish eternally, Luke 13 and verse 3. He is the compassionate Christ who tells you to confess him before men freely and unashamedly and he'll confess you before the Father in heaven, Matthew 10, 32. Deny him and he'll deny you, verse 33 adds. And he is the Christ who says he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Mark sixteen sixteen. Having determined that in that watery burial his blood from heaven is applied to cleanse your soul in the only way it's possible to be cleansed by his blood in the only place where it's possible to reach that blood in that burial and baptism. And then rise from that watery grave to walk in newness of life Realizing that you, can earn, you then serve the consistent Christ who, as we said, will never leave you or forsake you. But there may be one here who has left him or who has forsaken him. But he's still there, consistent, and ready to take the concrete and compassionate action of forgiveness if you'll come home by repenting of sin that needs to be repented of publicly and confessing that you have sinned And praying with us as we pray with you and for you to the God who loves you and invites you to come home as we stand to sing.